Today on Science Island, we're talking about 2D physics. Why, you might ask? Because 2D physicists are creating scenarios that should only be physically possible in relativistic physics. Things like making electrons move like they have no mass whatsoever. And they've been able to do that because they've isolated the smallest amounts of matter possible. They're doing this without the big fancy particle colliders, and they're doing it using a standard office supply item you probably have laying around in your desk right now. You're listening to KACRLP 96.1 in Alameda, and today we'll be talking to Dr. Eric Hendrickson, a 2D physicist, about the big discoveries being made in his field. Hey Grant, have you ever heard of low-dimensional physics? No, I've never heard of low-dimensional physics. I also had never heard of it. Or condensed matter physics is the other term that it goes by. Oh, sure. Condensed matter physics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, did you know that it's the most common field of physics? For graduate study, I'm imagining, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, for, for basically any field of study within physics, it's the most common that people end up studying, and yet I feel like no one has ever really heard of it. And so I wanted to get to the bottom of why this was the case. And so I tracked down a low-dimensional physicist named Dr. Eric Henriksen, who is a professor. And I just literally had the question for him, like, what exactly do you do? And it is fascinating stuff, Grant. So. It, just in your words, mm-hmm. having talked to this guy, what is low-dimensional physics? I couldn't even guess. If you gave me 10 guesses, I don't think I would get it. Yeah. So it is the study of matter on a very fine scale, um, single-sheet layers of atoms, electrons moving through a single atom at a time. It's the very, very, very basic structures of our universe instead of i feel like astrophysicists for example they get a lot of love it sounds very snazzy they're talking about the movement of planets like the really big stuff and yet most work that's done in the field of physics is looking at the tiniest structures that exist within the universe so is this the point where newtonian physics breaks down and all these crazy quantum effects start popping into existence. Exactly. See, you should have been a low dimensional physicist, (laughs) Grant. Um, The cool thing about it is that they can actually see relativistic physics in action in real life. Wow. I didn't know that that's ever been observed. Yeah. And the other really crazy thing about it is that they can see Like, you can see a single atom with your naked eye. What? Yes. I didn't think was possible. Dr. Henriksen will be telling us later in the show how that's possible. Very Um, cool. Yeah. And really the holy grail of um, this field as of right now is superconducting material, um, which could completely transform and explode the semiconductor industry and transform all the technology that we use that relies on semiconductor stuff. So obviously the phone in your pocket, your laptop, um, they're trying to break boundaries of uh, 
the physics that happens around us every day. Um, and they're doing so in a very unsung way. I feel like a lot of people haven't even heard about what 2D physics is. Well, that sounds really interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. So let's bring on Dr. Henriksen. As I mentioned earlier, he is a two-dimensional physicist and assistant professor at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. Henriksen, welcome to Science Island. Thank you. Great to be here. So you study two-dimensional physics. So my first question is, how does that work? Isn't all matter three-dimensional? Yeah, that's um, the interesting question I've had before. I'm working on two-dimensional systems, and you might think that that's sort of a mathematical abstraction. Um, but of course, uh, you know, I work with real materials, and atoms have a finite size, uh, but they have a, a thinnest size, if you will. So I could imagine plucking one layer of a material out. And if I say it's one atom thick, that's the thinnest I can go and still have something to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it's as two-dimensional as you can get. Um, so that's one way to think of it. So are you taking these tiny atoms and looking at them through a microscope and trying to set up your two-dimensional systems that way? Yeah, you can do that. I, I should clarify that these aren't uh, just atoms. They're you know, collections of atoms. You can think of uh, the most prominent material we work with, uh, graphene, is a, a two-dimensional sheet of carbon atoms. It kind of looks like molecular chicken wires, what we sometimes call it. Um, so it might be millions or billions of atoms um, in a sheet, still just one atom thick. Um, but you can actually see this stuff. So you start with uh, graphite, and you literally use scotch tape to pull it apart uh, and cleave it down to single layers, which you can actually see directly under a microscope or, or even by eye if you have a large enough flake. So you can literally see something one atom thick with just your eye. Oh, wow. So what is it? What does one atom look like? like uh, a tiny dot? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the sheets we're looking at, um, they actually, they're, I mean, they're so thin, they absorb very little light, um, although a lot more than you would think for something just one atom thick. Uh, but it basically makes a contrast difference to the substrate they're on. So we tend to use... Uh, the substrates to support the stuff are um, silicon wafers with a thin sheet of glass on top. Uh, and they look under the microscope, they tend to look pinkish or purplish. And if you put a single flake of graphene on top of that, it just looks a slightly darker pink or purple. Uh, but enough that you can clearly see the contrast. You can definitely see something is there. Yeah, you can sort of, you can see it with your naked eye. Very cool. It's like a shadow sort of. And then if you if you imagine taking a, another sheet and stacking it, so you have two sheets or three sheets or four sheets, you, you can clearly see the contrast difference there. It's getting darker and darker with each layer you add. You can actually count atomic layers that way. And what are, you know, you mentioned semiconductors. What are some of the everyday objects that we have around us all the time that um, capitalize on this type of physical interaction? Uh, the phone in your pocket. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Most important one, the computer we're talking on. Um, <clears throat> I mean, these things are really everywhere these days, right? Uh, although I, I think in, in your kind of everyday life, you don't really run into semiconducting materials so much. You're surrounded by, you know, on, on your desk, you'll have wood or plastic or metals. And these things are either good electrical insulators electrical charge doesn't move through them very well or like metal they they could carry electrical current very easily 
semiconductors and the type of things that you actually want to make uh, microchips and so forth out of are, are a bit of a special class of materials where um, electricity sort of moves through there. And that sort of gives you a handle on, on controlling the flow of the electricity. And is there a reason that you and your team tend to um, conduct research on graphene? Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of a fun story. There, there's, there has been a field um, of, in physics of people looking at low dimensional materials for many years, for decades, really. Um, and for a long time, these were very specialized systems, very carefully grown crystals where you might grow um, one crystal and then you would grow another one on top of it. And at the interface of these two crystals would be, you would be able to trap electrons in a two dimensional sheet. And so that was what two dimensional physics was for um, a number of decades. And it was a, a lively field and, you know, there were a couple Nobel prizes awarded and so forth. Um, but no one really thought that you could have a material that was a single atom thick that would be stable and, and able to kind of survive without falling apart on its own. Um, and, and this was really turned on its head back in uh, 2004 when uh, Andre Geim and his, his collaborator, Kostya Novoselov in, in England, um, they just took scotch tape to graphite and they pulled it apart and they, they thought, why don't we look here and see if we can get a single sheet? Um, and they were able to. And that really, that discovery really revitalized the field of 2D physics. Um, I, I won't say it had been moribund, but it, it had felt like kind of a mature field up to that point. Um, this all happened when I was in graduate school in the mid 2000s. Uh, so I was I was there as the field was, eh, you know, it's a mature field. Uh, I don't know if this is really going to go on much longer. And then all of a sudden blown open again with the discovery that, wow, you can have a single atom thick sheet electrically conducting that we can we can play with. We can put it on substrates, attach tiny wires to it, poke it and prod it in various ways. Um, it really, uh, you know, it really revived uh, the field quite a bit. And what has been sort of the fallout, if you will, from that? Would you say, like you mentioned recently, you went to um, a conference of physicists. Is is a big chunk of what you guys are researching and talking about still having to do with this graphene work? It still is uh, very much so. So that, that conference I was at recently was a week-long deal in Los Angeles, um, and it, it moves around. It's called the American Physical Society March Meeting. It's a gathering of condensed matter physicists, which is kind of the really broad umbrella term for people who study um, materials and matter. Um, and uh, it's a big conference on order of 10,000 people or so. And since graphene came along, uh, there, there was a point at which oh, maybe as much as a quarter of the conference was devoted to topics on, in, in the graphene uh, purview. Um, and even now, many, many people are working on graphene or other two-dimensional materials or layered materials that have come along since we've recognized that it's not just graphite that you can pull apart into 2D sheets, but there's many other materials as well. Um, a bit more esoterically sounding materials like molybdenum disulfide or niobium diselenide or black phosphorus or all these things, but they're all uh, joined by the common thread that they're bulk materials that you layered materials that you can uh, peel down to a single layer. Uh, and so this is now, it's not just graphene, there's this whole field of you know, atomically thin materials that still attracts, uh, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but you know, probably roughly a quarter of the conference. 
And 10,000 physicists seems like a lot of people to kind of be putting their heads together. Um, when you're when you're sending electrons through the graphene, like what is it doing? What are you guys watching for? So um, a whole bunch of different things. It really kind of depends on what your specific interest is. Uh, if you're on more of the engineering or application side of things, you're really trying to make those electrons move through faster ultimately make better transistors, better microchips, and so forth. Um, if you're in my side of things, you're really looking to understand the fundamental behavior of how the electrons move. Um, so graphene is this great example of um, a material where, okay, so electrons can move through, it's electrically conducting, but the, the specific behavior of the electrons is extremely unusual. They, uh, they move as if they had zero mass which is extremely unusual. This is a type of situation you find in say relativistic physics or astrophysics or something. But here we're talking about electrons, you know, bouncing through a speck of dirt, really, you know, just through a flake of carbon. Um, <clears throat> so you find this relativistic physics in, in, in a tiny little device that you could play with on a tabletop and that's highly unusual. So you can actually study some aspects of relativity, um, you know, without a telescope or satellite, just, you know, kind of, not at home exactly, but um, so that's the kind of thing we're looking for is like, how do the electrons actually move? How can we understand that? Can we reconcile it with uh, calculations from our theoretical colleagues who really tackle the equations hardcore? And when you're looking at something that's moving in a, in a what you described as a massless way, can you see that with your naked eye or are you taking measurements to ascertain that? We're taking measurements. Uh, typically, so a typical measurement will be we'll have a, a flake of graphene on a surface, and just to you know to put things to scale, the, again the flake is an atom thick, but the the extent of the flake is on the order of say ten to a hundred millionths of a meter, and, and for scale a piece of hair is a hundred millionths of a meter in diameter. So these are pretty tiny little flakes. Um, but we can take these and we can go and attach very tiny little um, metal wires to them so that we can controllably push an electrical current through and measure the voltages that arise. And so you're actually making these uh, measurements of the electronic transport of the material as you uh, cool the sample down to very, very low temperatures, or as you apply very strong magnetic fields. These are the things we do to try to change the behavior of the system uh, and then see how the voltages we're measuring change in response. And if you can, uh, you know, if I increase the magnetic field and the voltage goes up, that tells me one thing, maybe uh, compared to as if the voltage goes down. Um, and then you can go and try to uh, work with uh, theoretical colleagues to understand how this behavior allows you to understand the, the motion of the electrons directly. Since you can't really see the electrons themselves, you can only see the, the response of the system to them. And you mentioned actually connecting an electrical wire to a single atom? Uh, not to a single atom, but to a single atom thick. Got sheet. it. So, so like a yeah. sheet. To a sheet. That's right. And I would think doing that in and of itself, I mean, it sounds sort of improbable that you could even... Yeah do that does is there a piece of your work that it feels like sometimes this shouldn't be physically possible but it is yeah we're always trying to push that further um yeah that's the 
the type of devices we make on a daily basis are actually pretty cool looking. Um, you know, we're, we're fabricating tiny wires that are a millionth of a meter in size or, or even smaller. Uh, and this is a, for us a very standard process. You know, I can teach an undergrad to do it in a week. Um, uh, but you end up with these really, uh, fantastical looking devices, a barely visible sheet of graphene with tiny gold wires making away from it. As the wires get further away, they get bigger and bigger because at some point I actually need to be able to, you know, solder a wire that I can hold onto my device in order to make contact to it. When you were talking about creating a massless system, that kind of calls to mind those really large particle colliders, like the Hadron Particle Collider. Does That's right. this Does this um, area of physics sort of outmode those really huge particle colliders that take up, you know, entire city blocks? Um. No, I would say that it, it's much more complementary. Uh, so, you know, in these, in these, you know, in like the Large Hadron Collider, this 20-mile diameter behemoth, $10 billion monster of a machine, uh, you're <clears throat> slamming together fundamental particles, protons at enormous energies and looking at the spray of things that come out and trying to understand something about like the, you know, the, the underlying fundamental physics of the universe. Um, one aspect of, of what's involved in that is is relativity. These particles are moving very, very close to the speed of light. So uh, when I talk about having the electrons and graphene move in a relativistic manner as if they have no mass, of course they do have a mass. It's just that they're somehow imitating relativity by the particular way in which they hop, the electrons hop from carbon atom to carbon atom. Um, so it's much more complementary. It gives us a different view of how relativistic systems can behave. Um, as one example, there's a, there's something called um, the Klein paradox, which Google or look up, which it's a, it's an old uh, discussion from uh, back when quantum mechanics was first uh, being hashed out in the, let's say late twenties or so, where these guys discovered in their equations that if they, um, if they theoretically studied firing a bunch of electrons at a, a wall, if you will, that you could get more electrons bouncing back than you fired in. And, and that, that's a very um, kind of paradoxical uh, result. Turns out the answer lies in uh, the specifics of how electrons move at close to the speed of light. But the energies required to do this experiment are astronomical, and you can't actually do that experiment with real electrons. In graphene, however, you can. The energy scales all shrink down. They're much, much lower because, again, you're dealing with just a tiny flake of you know, graphite on the surface. And the energy scales become such that you actually can do this experiment. And a colleague of mine did this um, just about a decade ago um, as, as part of his thesis work. He studied what happens when you fire electrons in graphene that behave relativistically uh, at a wall, like how many of them come back, if you will, or how many of them move through that wall. The experiment that you actually couldn't do with, you know, real relativistic electrons, you actually could do uh, in graphene. So in that sense, it's, it's very complementary to uh, the usual uh, work done in particle physics. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's such a different scale to think about taking scotch tape. <laughs> and is this, I mean, is that something that, you know, if you're into physics, if you like think it's cool, but you're not a physicist yourself, is this the type of stuff that you could somehow try to simulate at home? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
<clears throat> it's been on my uh, list forever to to uh, yeah do one of these like science on tap talks um, like at a brewery or something. I've actually done that here once before, but I I didn't do this demo. And so what I really wanted to do is get like one of those little uh, ten or twenty dollar plastic microscopes from a science museum gift shop. Okay, so you know you can find those pretty easily. You can get scotch tape. You can buy graphite, you know, just at an art store. And with that equipment, you can literally make a, a two-dimensional sheet. You just take the scotch tape, you peel apart the graphite, you press it onto a surface. Even like a, a microscope slide will do. And if you take a look with that little microscope, you'll be able to see, uh, you know, few or single layer graphene sheets. And just a quick reminder, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Science Island on KACR. 96.1 FM. Today we're talking to Dr. Eric Henriksen, who is a low-dimensional physicist. Um, Dr. Henriksen, I did want to ask you, as a member of the scientific community, um, we recently, um, of course, heard about the passing away of Stephen Hawking, who made major strides in explaining to you know the general public what quantum physics and theoretical physics are all about. Did Stephen Hawking have an influence on you? Um, what did that mean for you? Yeah, I, I was definitely saddened to hear of his passing. I mean, he's such an iconic figure in physics. Um, uh, so he, he definitely had an impact on me as on many others. I, we had his book on our coffee table when I was growing up. Um, Brief History of Time. I actually read it at the time, uh, so what was that, late 80s or so? I was in middle school, I guess. Um, I didn't understand it that well, but it definitely captured my imagination. And I think that's one of the many things that led me to study physics later on. Um, I've been fortunate to have seen Dr. Hawking speak a few times um, uh, in my life, which was, these were really wonderful events. I saw him give a talk once about why we should go into space was really mm. interesting um and uh in fact i was uh when i was a postdoctoral scholar uh, um, several years ago uh, i was working at caltech and he used to visit there all the time um and he uh, literally ran over my toes once i, I came out of a cafe <laughs> door as he was rolling by <laughs> sorry you didn't mean to get in your way but you know they just kind of steamed on by in his powered chair <laughs> And for your um, personal research, what's what's coming up next? What are you focused on right now? You know, every every so often in any given field, um, you know, some discovery comes along that kind of changes how things are going. Uh, the advent of graphene, as I was describing earlier, um, in the mid two thousands, really changed the course of two dimensional physics. Um, and a colleague of mine, um, also a guy I've known for some years, uh, who's at MIT. Uh, just kind of dropped something on us a couple of weeks ago at this conference I was at, uh, where he found that uh, by making a device out of graphene in a particular way, um, he could turn it into a, a superconducting material. Um, and this really caught uh, a lot of the field by surprise. Um, his talk was enormously attended. They had to broadcast it out of the room. And so a lot of us went home and started trying to make the same sort of device to access this oh, kind I'm of sure. So this is something else that's yeah, very easy to look up. And in fact, I, I, many people I know who aren't scientists have been asking me, so what's up with this material? It's magic angle graphene. 
you look that up, there's a million headlines now talking about this new revolution in graphene physics, which, um, yeah, so this is one thing where we, you know, my students and I decided, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take a crack at this as well. And what is the difference between a semiconducting material and a superconducting material? So in any material that carries electricity, you've got electrons flowing through there, uh, kind of by definition. And electrons generally don't flow freely. They're always kind of having to fight their way through the material. And um, as they do so, they deposit energy and warm up the material. Great examples like the, the way the toaster works. You put a lot of electricity through metal wires and they get so hot they glow, right? In a superconductor, uh, the electrons actually can flow completely without resistance. The material doesn't gain any energy. It doesn't heat up at all. There's zero resistance to the motion of the electron flow. Uh, so that's a very special uh, situation. Um, in, in, in our world, you know, you look outside and you see power lines carrying you know, electricity all over your city. <clears throat> there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of power lost in transmitting electricity from one place to another. It's just, you know, part of playing with electricity, you just lose some of this. If you could have superconducting power lines, right there would be a, an enormous gain in efficiency uh, and, and it would, you know, reduce the number of power plants we needed and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of interest in trying to make superconductors that can be used in kind of an everyday scenario. Uh, we're not there yet. This recent discovery in graphene may help us get there. We'll see. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's probably just exciting to be working on something where, you know, within the course of just a few weeks, sort of everything can change. Yeah. You never know when that's going to happen. It, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, but every once in a while, someone throws something out, a little curveball, and like, okay, you know, some new field has opened up. We're, we got to go take a look at this. It's it's attractive enough, and you, you can tell. Kind of everyone starts talking about it. Um, it's one of the things that really keeps it exciting. Oh, I'm sure. And a lot of your work is also with, you know, as you mentioned, students. Um, what what are they excited about when it comes to physics? Like, what do you think they're going to be bringing to the table 10, 20 years from now? Uh, that's interesting. Um, my students, you know, we've been we're, we've been starting from graphene, but branching out into other atomically thin materials and even into magnetic materials these days. I've gotten interested in something called quantum spin liquids. So what I kind of hope for, for my students who go on perhaps into their own research careers is I, I kind of hope that they get, that they end up moving far from where they started. Um, you know, not that I want to kick them out of my field, but I want them to be able to go out and really kind of make their own way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, if I could predict where they'd end up, I'd probably be trying to do it now myself. It's interesting thinking about um, the matter around us in, in this way. And, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, what you've talked about today is going to help us sort of see things a little bit differently. Um, Dr. Hendrickson, thanks for taking the time to come on Science Island. Yeah, so happy to. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. So that does it for today's episode of Science Island. If you are interested in making your own graphene samples at home, you can absolutely do it yourself. Check it out on YouTube. Look up how to make graphene. Uh, all you need is a pencil and scotch tape. Really cool. 
Thank you so much to our guest, Dr. Eric Henriksen. Thank you also to Stephen O'Leary, who produced the music that you have heard during this episode. We think it's pretty cool, and we feel like it's also science-y. This is Leah Hitchings. Thanks to my co-host, Grant Burningham. And you're listening to KACRLP 96.1 FM in Alameda. We'll see you next week.